It is Friday, April 30th, 2021. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live podcast. We have a lot to discuss today. We're going to talk about an article this month in the Liahona about single people. We're going to talk about BYU TV. And we are also going to discuss a real controversial subject within the LDS community right now, which I have opinions about, and that is the excommunication of Natasha Helfer Parker. So let's get started. There's an article, there what there is an article this month in the Liahona, by the time you hear this podcast, it might actually be next month in May. That's the other thing I need to warn you about too. It's Friday here while I'm recording this. But because I've had internet issues, you may actually get the podcast a little bit later. If that is the case, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll, uh, I will mention it in the show notes. Anyhow, there's an article written by Jacob Call, and it talks about how to treat single people in the LDS church. Because this guy is single himself, and as sounds like from reading the article, he's been single for quite a while. Now... I don't know if he's been married, divorced, or never been married. I don't know his status in life in terms of how he got to be single or if he has been single his whole life. I don't know. I just know that right now, or when the article was written, he's single. And he talks about how to treat single people in wards. And I have opinions about this. The article starts out by him mentioning that one of the things that made him cringe was when he was at ward conference one day, the bishop said, please begin seating near your families or with your families. Well, he didn't have a family, so he didn't know who to sit with. Then he went and sat with somebody, I guess because a sister tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, you're part of our family for the next hour or something like that. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's essentially what happened. And he felt that this sister in the ward made him feel very welcome. Then he talked about how sometimes people assume certain things about other people. For example, he was a nursery leader, and he expressed some concern because in the second hour, this must have happened when we had three-hour church, but in the second hour, he oftentimes missed announcements because he was in nursery. He was one of the nursery leaders. And the person that he was talking to asked, why can his wife get the announcements? And so this brother that was sitting next to him as he was talking about this just assumed that he was married. And then he went on to talk about, are we going to treat people as though they're married, single, or just individuals in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He also mentioned the fact that when he was called to a position in the bishopric, a lot of people were uncomfortable with a single male in the bishopric. And by the way, as a side note, the church has changed its policy. I didn't even know it was a policy, honestly. I have no idea. But the church changed its policy stating that Single people can now serve in the bishop brick or branch presidency. Obviously, single people can't be a bishop or a branch president for good reason. But they can serve now. Now, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming based on this article that this was not this is not the policy for regular wards. But he said that people 
cringed when there was a single male serving in the bishop brick. He also talked about how you can make other people part of your family. And I've discussed this on a, la- on a previous podcast that I did, where I gave a tribute to Rush Limbaugh and talked about why I believe we ought to get rid of singles wards. But he talked about a bishop that invited him to family home evening every Monday night. So he was a part of their family. Now, I don't know if they did other activities. I don't know if they went boating or whatever. But he did invite this single person, uh, the single male Jake Jacob Call, to family home evening every Monday night. And I have discussed previously on the podcast that a lot of times it takes effort for you as a single person to make things work in a family ward. I've been there, done that. I think I had mentioned that sometimes we, as single people, have to branch out. Quick example, in case I'm pretty sure I gave this example on a previous podcast, but if I didn't, let me do it again. I went to a family ward in Arkansas. I still attend a family ward to this day. But I went to a family ward in Arkansas, and I was determined to make things work. Now, admittingly, I didn't like the ward I was in all that much for various reasons, but That didn't stop me from going to church. And I made it work. I had, there were some people that drove me home uh, on Sundays. And I asked them, maybe we should go to dinner sometime. And he actually texted me on a Saturday morning and asked if he wanted, if I wanted to go to dinner with his wife and kids. And I said, yeah, that would be fine. And so we did. I can't remember exactly where we went, but we did go to a fish place and had fried catfish. I also made friends with some other folks, and they invited me over for dinner uh, after he had made jambalaya. So yes, sometimes, oftentimes, us as single people have to make things work in a family ward in terms of being good friends with families or something to that nature. It's a very good article. There is a link in the show notes. Let's talk about BYU TV. I have a problem with this headline from the very beginning, from the very get-go. I've had a problem with this headline. The headline reads, BYU TV has a come-to-Jesus moment with LGBT characters. I don't like that headline at all. But I'll tell you why I don't like that headline as soon as I discuss this article with you. There was a show, Parker Anderson's, that was aired on BYU TV that did not have any LGBTQ characters, supposedly. The article also goes on to mention about how it was an unspoken rule when BYU TV was working with Marble Media that they couldn't have LGBT characters on the show. Now, I don't know if that's true, but this is what the article stated. This is, uh, this is out of now in Toronto. And it goes on to say that BYU TV is in talks and negotiations with Marble Media to have LGBT characters on uh, shows. There's a show coming up called Overlords or Overlord and another one called Underwood 
where they will be having LGBT characters, and apparently the characters will be discussed somehow or another on the show. Now, from what I understand in this article, I'm not sure how they're going to be mentioned on the show. But somehow it's going to be mentioned. In fact, before I get there, let me just quote something that this person named, I think it's Pharrell, F-A-R-R-W-E-L-L, said about this matter. Now, the article does state, by the way, that BYU does not allow same-sex couples. And it also mentions that if you're in a same-sex merit, or uh, if you act on your same-sex desires, same-sex attraction, you can be excommunicated. I know the church doesn't use the word excommunicated anymore. I think it's member cancellation. But this article said excommunicated. So I'm kind of paraphrasing, quoting this at the same time. But here's a quote that Farrell uses, F-A-R-R-W-E-L-L. I don't know what his first name is, but it said Farrell. We can open the door to queer presentation. Overlord is a sitcom consisting of intergalactic villains who try to seek witness protection. And it is clear that one of the identity that uh, one of the characters will be identified as a simple coded queer. And the article goes on and talks about another sir, another uh, show that will air called Amelia Parker. And apparently there will be people in the LGBT community, LGBTQ community on this as well. Anyway, I have a problem with this, with this whole thing. First of all, why does it matter that somebody is LGBTQ? Why do we have to announce it to people? I know that coming out is a cool thing. I know that there are people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I don't doubt that. I know in many podcasts ago, I said it's hard to know if someone really is struggling with sexual attraction. Well, I've learned a few things since then. I don't doubt that there are people who struggle with it. Rather, because they've been molested. They've been born that way, or whatever. But why do we have to, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, announce this? Why does there have to be a thing in a show? Or why does the show have to embellish the fact that somebody is queer, gay, lesbian, transgender, or whatever? And I'm not even sure, quite frankly that this was an unspoken policy at BYU TV, that they would not allow any LGBTQ people on TV shows. The reason I say that, do you remember when Legacy came out? In 1994. Actually, it was in 1993. I saw it in 1994. But do you remember when Legacy came out in 1993? Well, I went and saw Legacy in March of 1994. It was during a spring break I had when I lived in Idaho. And I went down to Utah for spring break in March of 94. 
And there was a gay person who played Joseph Smith. And I remember my dad had complaints about Legacy right after we watched the movie. We were on our way back to my grandmother's house, and he complained about the character of Joseph Smith didn't represent him very well. I disagreed with my dad, still do. I thought it was a very well-done movie. I really liked it. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not a very emotional person. I may have mentioned this in a podcast. The movie Legacy was a tearjerker to me. I almost cried. In fact, had I stayed in my seat long, much longer after the movie, I would have cried. I really felt the spirit very strongly, so I disagree with my dad that the character didn't represent Joseph Smith very well. I thought he did a very good job representing Joseph Smith. But nonetheless, there was something to be said about the fact that the movie brought tears to my eyes. I was 14. Mind you, I'm not a very emotional person. I don't cry very easily. But the point is, the person who played Joseph Smith in the movie Legacy was gay. And I remember my dad was highly upset about it and just would not stop talking about it. Anytime somebody in our home bought up Legacy, that was one of the first things my dad would bring up. At the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. I still don't think it's a big deal. But the church didn't go out and announce it. Yes, we figured it out because so-and-so said this or whatever. Years later, in 1996, I do believe, maybe 1997, I can't remember, my sister, one of my sisters came home from college over Christmas break. I, I think it was in 1996. Anyway, the producer of Legacy came and spoke to Rick's College. And I don't know if this was a fireside of one of the singles ward at Rick's College or what. This is back before it was BYU-Idaho. But the producer of Legacy came and spoke, and he brought up the fact that the church had a gay person play Joseph Smith. He said we needed a good actor... And he said, sometimes it's hard to find actors in the LDS community that are good because of moral reasons or whatever. People just don't go into acting. This is back in 94 when things were a little bit different. And so they had to get who they could get. But the point is, the church didn't go around making a big deal about it. So this is why I question if this was even an unofficial announced policy that BYU TV had where they couldn't even bring LGBTQ characters on the show. By the way, I did email BYU TV and have not gotten a response. I called BYU TV. They told me who to contact. And so I did contact them. As of now, I have not gotten a single response. And I mentioned to them in the email, how are these characters 
How will it be represented, their orientation? How is it going to be represented on the show? Remember, folks, BYU TV is a family-oriented network, and that's one of the things that the article mentioned. One of the spokespeople for BYU TV said that it was hard to bring religious and non-religious audiences together, particularly those that are between the ages of 8 and 15 who watch, with, uh, who watch television with their parents. That was mentioned in the article. Now, I'm paraphrasing what I said, but or what the spokesperson said, but that was essentially the drift of his statement. Or the gist of it, I should say. So I'll be curious to know how these people are going to be represented and how the orientation, the sexual orientation, is going to come out. Remember, folks, I truly believe, and I'm going to try and get somebody on here from the Honor Code administration if I can, but I truly believe that there are a group of people at BYU, including those in the Honor Code, this is just my opinion, who are trying to change BYU. I do believe it. Interestingly enough, uh, BYU-Idaho, and I've had this verified, BYU-Idaho is a bit more, uh, uh, quite a bit more conservative than BYU-Provo. Will BYU-Idaho stay that way? Probably not. Probably not. And I also found out that Glenn Beck has children, or, well, has kids at BYU-Idaho. Because remember, Glenn Beck said, and I mentioned it here on the podcast, that he would not let his kids go to BYU. Well, I think he should have been more specific, because he does have kids going to BYU-Idaho. I think he should have been a little bit more specific in the broadcast. I believe that broadcast took place in either... November or December of last year, I'd have to look. I don't think it should matter what someone's sexual orientation is. Just do the show and not even mention it. But I know we're in a day and age where we have to be politically correct, even if you're a religious school, because of, heaven forbid, 501c3, which I do wish the church would get out of 501c3, but I understand why they don't, but I wish that they would get out of it. I wish the church would start preaching more politics at the pulpit and general conference, or at least at the downfall of this country and who's destroying the country, and call out people. I wish they would. President Benson would have. I want to talk about something else that's a pretty controversial topic within the church right now. This is in regards to an excommunication of Natasha Helfer Parker. Natasha Helfer Parker is a therapist. Oh, by the way, I need to do a content warning here. I'd forgotten about this. Let me do a content warning here because I'm going to get into some things that I know many of you listening to the podcast would be very uncomfortable with little children around or well, at least children from the, you know, possibly infancy till about 13, 14, 15 maybe. So let me do a content warning. In fact, from here on out, I'm going to be discussing some things that might make you, the listener, feel very uncomfortable, especially if you have children around. You might want to take that into consideration, and if you do have children around, 
and you still want to listen to the rest of this podcast, you might want to listen to it later. I'm just letting you know. Let me do a countdown here. And I don't like to do this because this is an LDS Life podcast. And I like the idea of families listening to this podcast together. But because of the nature of circumstances and because of the controversy surrounding this, I have to discuss this and bring my own commentary. So let me do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, I think that's enough time. So Natasha Helfer Parker is a sex therapist, not just a therapist, but she is also a sex therapist. And she was excommunicated, or I guess she had her membership withdrawn, or as the article in the Salt Lake Tribune refers to it as, her membership has been expelled. Why? Because she has been advocating for things that are contrary to the church's positions. We're going to get into this. She was advocating and still is advocating, to my understanding, same-sex marriages, masturbation. She even advocated abortion. And we'll get into that. Now, the article did not mention abortion, but I did a little bit of research and listened to some of her podcasts. We're going to talk a little bit more about Natasha Helfer Parker. She's a woman out of Kansas, or she was out of Kansas. She's back in Utah. She had to go to Kansas for her disciplinary council. But she was out of Kansas, or or she went to Kansas during this whole ordeal on Sunday, April 18th. After the membership withdrawal, or after they expelled her in the church, She said this, quote, I didn't plead or beg. And then a hearing was held on Sunday, April 18th, in Kansas, in Derby, Kansas. Incidentally, Natasha Helfer Parker walked out of the meeting because they asked her to not bring her phone in in fear that this meeting would be recorded. To let some of you know, these disciplinary councils are not to be recorded, and rightfully so. You can take notes. In fact, I know for a fact that oftentimes the clerk who shows up at these disciplinary councils does take notes. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It all depends on the bishop and what the bishop wants and the stake president. But yes, there are people who will take notes in this. Usually it's a clerk. It could be a high council person, a stake high councilman. It could be any number of people. Usually it's the clerk, the ward clerk, and then possibly the state clerk. But Stephen Daly said this. Stephen Daly was the state president who expelled her membership. He said, while members may hold diverse opinions on a number of topics, Helfer cannot be a member in good standing. When you have demonstrated a pattern of clear opposition, deliverance, of opposition to the church and its doctrine, its policies, its leaders, your professional activities played no part in the discussion of the council. Rather, as stated in my prior letter to you, the sole purpose of this council was to consider your repeated clear and public opposition to and condemnation of the church, its doctrines, its policies, and its leadership. 
Before the meeting on April 18th, Helfer said that a conflict of interest occurred. She stated that President Steve Daly was her husband's former boss. Coach Industry. I assume Coach Industry is a therapist clinic of some sort. Anyway, she said that it was a conflict of interest because Steve Daly was her husband's former boss. Natasha Helfer Parker, in a letter, I assume it was sent to the stake president, said, The last thing I want for my people is to replace one prick with another. You can quote me on that one, she said. She also went on to say she would stop using colorful language when other church leaders stopped calling homosexuals degenerate, perverted, and unholy. She also said in her podcasts that masturbation is not a sin. And she, like I said, is also for same-sex marriage, which is very much against the church doctrine. Now, I listened to Natasha Helfer's Parker's podcasts. She does a podcast called Mormon Mental Health. She also does another podcast called On the Healing Soul. Why well, listen to the Healing Soul podcast? I listened to one of the episodes. Let me tell you what's what she discussed on that particular podcast. She had a guest on. I, I can't remember who the guest was, but they were talking about abortions. It was an archived podcast, meaning that it was a podcast that was done a long time ago. And it just happened to show up in my podcast feeds as I was searching around for her podcasts. Actually, if you do if you do a search on Mormon Mental Health in your in a podcast app, any podcast app, it'll come up as an archived on Healing Souls. If you click on, if you tap on the um, Mormon Mental Health podcast, it's actually archived under Healing Souls. Anyway, her and a, a guest were talking about abortion, and they were talking about how. 22 weeks was not enough to determine whether an abortion should happen or not. So essentially, she was condoning the idea, her and her guest were condoning the idea of partial birth abortions. Her guest mentioned that 22 weeks, you can see the ultrasound, or when people go in to get an ultrasound, they're not thinking about health problems with the baby or the fetus. They want to know what its sex is. The guest also went on to talk about how later they can discover issues with the baby, like a missing limb or extra fingers or things to that effect. And then they talked about whether, you know, the woman should consider whether, you know, if she should have an abortion or not. They also went on to talk about the health of the mother. You know, if a woman is pregnant in her late 30s, early 40s, then it could be very dangerous to the woman. That needs to be considered also. But here's the kicker. She went on to talk about, uh, Natasha Helfer went on to talk about, Natasha Helfer Parker went on to discuss that it was maddening to her that an, a woman would have to go to her church clergy, and I know that she was referring to her bishop, stake president, her husband, all these male figures before deciding whether they, she should get an abortion or not. Well, first of all, abortion is against our religion, but we'll get there later. 
She also said there is no scientific proof when life begins. All right. It sounds to me like she needs to go back and listen to David A. Bentnor's talk about abortion. It sounds to me like she needs a refresher of the pre-existence and where we came from and how we have a spiritual journey to go through, whether it's in the previous life and continuing on in this life. Maybe she missed those days in church where they talked about such issues. Maybe she needs to go back and uh, revisit those talks and revisit those lessons because sounds to me like maybe she missed those lessons in seminary and other places. Or maybe she just had selective hearing. I don't know. But the point is, she's out of step with church doctrine. Now, there are cases where the church says you can have an abortion if the baby or the mother is in danger. Seek, your, seek the confident medical professionals. Maybe the church needs to come out and be a little bit more clear that you don't abort your baby just because there's missing limbs or just because there's a disability. Maybe the church needs to be more clear on that. I think they should because, after all, we are living in a day and age where we have to define everything. The other podcast that I listened to on Mormon mental health did discuss masturbation. This was really interesting. Her and a guest talked about masturbation. Natasha Helfer Parker actually did a paper on masturbation in college because she admitted that she masturbated quite a bit. Well, I don't know about quite a bit. She admitted that she masturbated, and she wanted to find out if she was normal. Come to find out, she was normal, according to her research. In the podcast, she also said that masturbation relieves pressure and stress. Well, that might be true from a scientific standpoint. I actually don't doubt that for many reasons. But it's still against the doctrine of the church. She also went on to say that it is very, you know, it's typical for a little kid, four, five, six-year-old to masturbate. And as parents, you need to tell them you can masturbate in your bedroom or the bathroom but do not do it in public. She also talked about, I think it was her, yeah, she, uh, Christine, uh, Natasha Helfer Parker said that it's typical for people to masturbate five times a day. And she went on to talk about some myths about masturbation. You know, about if you masturbate a lot, you won't get a date. If you masturbate a lot, then you won't be sexually active when it's time to be. Things that I could probably agree with. You know, she said that those were myths about masturbation. I could agree with that. But it doesn't change church doctrine. It doesn't change the fact that this has been preached against ever since the beginning of time. Or perhaps ever since Adam and Eve were, uh, ate the forbidden fruit and now had to live lives like you and I. Let me tell you a story. Let's put things into perspective. Let me tell you a story. In 1986, it was, uh, it was during the summer. I don't remember exactly when in 86 other than the fact that it was the summer. I don't remember the date. I don't even remember the month. 
But I do remember it was in the summer of 86 because school was out. I was in between first or, uh, my kindergarten uh, kindergarten and first year of school, first year of elementary, you know, of first grade. Back then, we didn't have kindergarten and elementary schools, except for I did because I went to an elementary school, May Roberts, in Ontario. But nonetheless, I remember that, uh, that summer afternoon, it was a hot Blazing hot summer afternoon, I will add. And my second to the oldest sister had three friends who came over. One of them was a guy and two of them were girls. I'm going to name one of the girls Sally Smith. That is not her real name, but I will name her Sally Smith for her protection. Because I did not get permission to use her real name. So we'll call her Sally Smith. Sally came over along with the other friends that I had mentioned. And they were hanging out in the living room. And I was playing on the stairs and came into the living room occasionally. And they were listening to the radio and things that teenagers do when they hang out. I don't know about you, but listening to the radio was a big part of me hanging out as a teenager. Big part. If I wasn't listening to the radio, I was listening to CDs with friends of mine. It was a big deal. I'm sure teenagers today listen to music on Spotify. But back in my day, in my sister's day, listening to the radio while hanging out was a big deal. And so we were all listening to the radio. I was playing on the stairs, and I'd come up into the living room occasionally to say hi or whatever. And Sally was there. To this day, I can't identify why, but I felt extremely comfortable with Sally being present. I felt very comfortable. She just put off this vibe that I've, I, I can be safe around her. Now... Just to be clear, my sister's other friends that were there were not bad people by any stretch of the imagination. It just happened that there was something very special about Sally Smith. And it was to the point where whenever I heard the name Sally, even if it didn't pertain to Sally Smith, I just assumed that she was a good person because... My sister had a friend named Sally that was a good person. That was my logic. Anybody with the name Sally must be a good person. But as I look back on that event, there was something else transpiring. And I couldn't have identified everything at the age of six. I still can't identify certain things that happened that day or, or why. But there is something that I can identify looking back at my history and putting everything together. For the first time, I realized, and it hit me, that there is a difference between men and women, boys and girls. I think I knew this before, but it really hit home to me that day. And as I look back on that event, that's when I started realizing that I, was, I liked women. Of course, I did the thing that most boys did at the age of 10, 11, 12. I don't want a girlfriend. Girls have cooties, that type of thing. I didn't want any friends that were girls. There was one girl that I kind of liked. Actually, there were a couple that were the exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, 
I didn't want anything to do with women, for the most part, with exceptions. In fact, I can remember, I might as well mention this right now, because I know that this individual will be listening to the podcast. I mentioned on the previous podcast that I got in touch with someone in Idaho that I hadn't talked to since March of 1998, with the exception of being on Facebook and sending each other messages. As far as actually talking, I hadn't talked to him since 1998, and I got in touch with him in Idaho thanks to Facebook. I remember the first day that I met him in Boise, Idaho, as I was getting ready to make the move. We talked about respect for women. Oh, I did not like that lesson. No, 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 no. I did not want a girlfriend. I didn't understand why we had to give women all this special treatment, open the doors for them, and the things that you're supposed to do. I told my, uh, this guy that I got in touch with just a few weeks ago, I don't want a girlfriend. And I just I went off, and we had the lesson. Then the next week I said the same thing again, and he put me in my place, and rightfully so, I would add, because he was the teacher, and he had a curriculum to follow, and he believed in it. So it was, right f- that it was right for him to put me in my place. Of course, let's fast forward to 1994. So from 1991 to 1994, let's fast forward to December of 1994. I met up with him again because at that point he was the young men's president and I was 14 years old. And we were doing a Christmas activity, going caroling. And it just so happened that I met this guy at the ward house. I told him about a girl that I liked, and he just laughed and laughed and laughed because he remembered that day in August of 1991 when I told him I didn't want a girlfriend and I didn't understand why we had to respect women the way that we did. And yes, it was ironic in 1994 because I was so adamant about not having a girlfriend in 1991. 1994 comes along. Well, I was into women even before that, but 1994 is when I actually met him again. After we departed ways in 1992, not in a bad way, it's just I had to go a certain way and so did he. We, you know, I had Deacon's Corm to go to now and Sunday school and he had to continue teaching Blazers. So I didn't see him until 94. So when I say we parted ways, it wasn't in a bad way. It's just we had to just go our own separate ways. That was the nature of things back then. So in 1994, when we met up, he would constantly bring that up, even after that, because him and I interacted an awful lot as after that. In fact, I specifically remember his wife telling me to check out certain women at school that were her nieces. What's the point of all this? Yes, I realized I like women in 1986 and yes I went through that stage of girls have cooties and yes I do agree with Natasha Helfer Parks or with Natasha Helfer Parker that kids are very sexual 
I think five, six, seven-year-olds are very sexual. They may not be having hormones that are going bananas, but they are very sexual in the sense of they find out that men and women have different body parts. They start to wonder, if they don't know about it already, that girls have different body parts than men, boys. They may even start to wonder what the parts of a girl look like down there. I did. I didn't dare say it, but I wondered. I... That's, that's what I mean. But here's the point of this whole entire conversation. Well, I felt comfortable around Sally Smith. And no, I did not have a crush on her. No, I did not want to marry her or any of that. I just felt extremely comfortable. And I realized, looking back at my history, I liked women. While that was going on, I never ever, ever considered playing with myself or masturbating. Never. That didn't even occur to me as a little boy. Never. If it did occur to me, which it never did, but if it did, it would have been because somebody would have told me about it and somebody would have told me that I should masturbate as a kid and play with myself and do all these things. Nobody told me that, nor should they have. That just corrupts you as a kid. I'm sorry, but that, that corrupts you. I didn't even know what masturbation was until I was 11 years old, and my mom explained to me very briefly what it was. Then when I was 12 years old, we did the things that most kids do when they're 12, 13, maybe even 11. Their dad, you know, if we're in our house, it was uh, my dad would set me and my brother aside and talk about sexual things called the birds and bees interview. And my mom would set us, would uh, take time and talk about, talk to my sisters about sexual things. So at that time, in the summer of 1992, when I was 12 years old, my dad took me aside uh, we went into my bedroom and had a talk about sex, and he told me exactly what masturbation was and some of the terminology that was used, some of the slang to describe it. And he said, in this family, we don't do that. And in the church, as members of the church, we don't masturbate. Here's why. And it made sense. You don't encourage that kind of behavior with your kids. You just don't. And I'm going to take a quote that my dad used to tell me about people like Christina Helfer Parker, who is, in my estimation, under out in left field, and apparently the church agrees with me, or I agree with the church. Christina Helfer Parker needs her head examined. This is one of the problems. Christina Helfer Parker is one of those therapists who gives psychology a bad name. This is why back in the 60s and 70s particularly, a lot of ultra-conservatives did not like the idea of psychology. And I know this for a fact based on books that I've read and things like that. 
because of crap like this that was going on back in the 60s and 70s, and probably even more so today. Is every therapist like uh, Natasha Helfer Parker? No. But enough of them are. And it started with Sigmund Freud. Now, I agree with Sigmund Freud on some things. Don't think that I disagree with him entirely. But he's the one that started a lot of this crap back in the early 20th century. And it's just escalated from there. Now, Christina, or uh, why do I keep calling her Christina? Natasha Helfer Parker is going to write an appeal to the first presidency. You have a right, as someone who's had your membership canceled or expelled in the church, you have a right to an appeal. Personally, I don't think the appeal is going to go through. I think the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency will look at this and say, no. That's my hope, anyway. Time will tell, but I don't think it's going to go through. I actually would like to get a therapist on here and talk about these matters. I'd like to get an LDS therapist on here and talk about these things. Maybe I will. Maybe that would be a good idea. Because I definitely think that we need to discuss these things, especially... Since you have therapists out there promoting this kind of behavior they, with, with little children, that is not right. And it's certainly not right that she's out there promoting abortion, partial birth abortion even. I don't like that at all. And abortion is a whole nother discussion, isn't it? I could do a whole nother podcast on abortion, in my opinions. Next week on the LDS Life Podcast, I'm going to talk to David Bresnahan. David Bresnahan was a politician in the Utah legislature. He was, he's also now involved with acting. David Bresnahan also owned a radio station in Salt Lake called Key Talk Radio. We're going to talk about his political career, and then we're going to talk about his acting. Just so you know, we're not going to discuss so much his politics or his political beliefs. We'll discuss the fact that he owned a radio station. We'll discuss the fact that he was in politics, but we're not going to talk about the politics of today out of respect for him because he has asked me specifically not to do it. And we'll get into why he left politics, went into acting, and those type of things. In the meantime, I will talk to you later, folks.